0: Welcome back to Startup Health Now, the podcast where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators who are transforming health. I'm Logan Plaster. So I get the pleasure of talking with many, many founders of healthcare startups. I consider it a perk of my job because each founder, each new idea inspires me and gives me hope that we're on the cusp of some major breakthroughs. Then, reality sets in and I'm reminded just how hard it is to go from an idea, even a brilliant one with validation, to commercialization and broad use. It's one thing for a founder to find a single clinic to use their platform or device, but a common question is, how do you get your startup adopted at a large hospital? Or better yet, a hospital system? Do you just call up a chief digital officer or a chief innovation officer and they'll get it all sorted? Not exactly. According to our guest today, Sara Baezzi, Chief Strategy and Digital Officer at Providence, For one thing, the role of hospital chief digital officer has changed dramatically.
1: A one month period after I joined, um, after I stepped into this role, a third of my counterparts um, in other organizations as CDOs were no longer in their jobs.
0: So how can a startup work with a hospital system effectively? What do hospitals look for in a startup? And what are some of the red flags for a project that's going to go nowhere? And what are the greatest pain points for which hospitals are actively seeking solutions today? To answer these questions, we invited Sara Vaezzi onto a masterclass, which are virtual sessions we hold in front of a live audience of founders from the Startup Health community. We've cut that session down to share the highlights with you here, and we've included some of the founder questions from our Q&A as well, since they're very practical and relevant. Let's dive in. Today, our guest is Sara Vaezi, Chief Strategy and Digital Officer for Providence, a network of fifty-plus hospitals, more than a thousand clinics, and serving more than five million unique patients. Uh, Sara has been a leader in digital innovation for years. You've probably seen her name around, as she's been on the main stage, places like Health and Vive. And we wanted to have her on a masterclass to talk about connecting the dots between frontline health innovation and digital transformation at the health system level. We're going to hear about how her work has shaped Providence, uh, her macro view of the market in 2024, but then we're going to get tactical about how Sara thinks about adopting new technologies like the things that you're working on on this call and how they collaborate with startups more generally. So Sara, thank you so much for joining us today and taking the time out of your schedule.
1: Great to be here. I I love these types of uh, things and these types of conversations always um, are just as enlightening for me and a lot of fun. So thanks for having
0: me. Awesome. Well, we we love having you here and I know we're going to have some great questions on the latter half of the episode, uh, the conversation. So let's start by understanding your role a bit more. Uh, In our pre-call chat, uh, you told me that the role of health system chief digital officer, CDO, has really evolved and changed. So maybe you could tell us a little bit about your your role more generally and then how that role has changed in the industry.
1: Uh, Sure. So uh, just by way of a little bit of background and context, I've served um, within Providence for just over eight years and stepped into the CDO role Uh, A couple of years ago, and um, it was a really interesting time. It was March of 2022. There was this major, I would call it like a macroeconomic collapse within health systems in that um, uh, in particular, like, Premium labor, contract labor, just went through the roof, and um, and inflationary expenses went through the roof. Um, the reason why I'm telling you all of this is that within a one month period after I joined, um, after I stepped into this role, um, I've of course been with Providence for a while already. Um, a third of my counterparts um, in other organizations as CDOs um, were no longer in their jobs, mm. and many health systems actually. Um, stopped doing digital whatever that means right like they they cut their digital and innovation teams in particular and the reason for that is that you know sort of the six to you know, eight years prior the um, you talked to one chief digital officer, you talked to one, there was a lot of experimentation and dabbling and frankly, not a whole lot of uh, thesis driven work around like, why are we doing digital? Why is it important? What does it mean for the system? Uh, how does it serve the system both in terms of, um, you know, disruption um, as well as supporting the core uh, business model of a system? And so it just there wasn't a clear articulation of of the value and certainly not only the articulation, but there was no measurement. (laughs) There was no, um, there was very little focus. Uh, And so, you know, just like kind of doing this, like skimming kind of dabbling, jumping from here to there. We used to, you know, I, I talked with a lot of CIOs as well. And it was sort of like the CIOs had to do the crappy work and the CDO got to do the fun stuff. And again, like none of that is, you know, material in terms of driving transformation or supporting a business model or anything like that. And so uh, we were to some extent in danger of that as well, though we had had a much more sort of focused set of things that we were doing primarily around access and navigation and driving uh, engagement and focusing on a couple of clinically specific domains with respect to mental health and health equity in particular. Um, but even more, you know, what happened in 2022 out of necessity, we were forced to focus. And the thesis that we kind of came down on um, as it related to uh, why digital uh, exists within the system, but also how we pulled in other parts of of the organization toward a well-articulated objective was that we were in place to drive sustainable growth for the system. And um, what that meant was to have a front end for the system that from discovery, through delivery and beyond, um, really brought the consumer and the provider together. So take out the friction, make it simple, you know, uh, um, uh enable access, uh, enable a personalized experience. Uh, it's very much the sort of playbook that other industries that have done digital transformation and made a difference, like in travel or communications or whatever that you all have seen that's that's the same principle that played out there and is now finally sort of playing out in healthcare. In some cases, it was sort of, I would say summarized as consumerism in healthcare, though we don't think that it has necessarily anything to do with consumerism per se, Um, because I think in a consumerist model, there's sort of this presumption that the aggregator is the consumer, and that's not what we're saying. We're saying the health system is a platform that can really help bring patients and providers together, and digital's role is to facilitate that. So um, with that sort of philosophical thinking, um, what I'm responsible for, what I have responsibility for in the system is marketing. And that's not just digital or performance marketing, it's all marketing, uh, digital channels. So web, mobile, you know, search experiences, e- e-commerce and syndication. So you know, online booking, those types of things. And then we also have a product development um, incubator. So I, um, in many ways, empathize and live in the world that you all do as founders as well, where we build platforms as a service, we build software as a service, and we then create new companies, we spin them out, and then make them available to the broader market. um, And we can talk about why we do that.
0: What's your thought process in the build versus buy conversation?
1: We could have an entire one hour session exclusively dedicated to this and I'll start by saying that we, uh, from an electronic medical uh, record standpoint, we use Epic. Um, and so if we were to do any build-by analysis as a system at the sort of feature and functionality kind of from that lens, um, we would always select Epic because Epic can basically build anything under the sun or it's on their roadmap or you know some other version of that. And um, But ultimately, build-by is much more than just features and functionality. Um, and And part of the role of digital in driving sustainable growth is both from a technology and a business lens, right? So you're not thinking about it from an IT perspective. You're actually thinking about it, um, about your problems from a business, as well as how do you solve the business problem with technology perspective? simply put our process is such that we really carefully identify the problem that we're trying to solve. We get really deep. Like we're not just saying high level, like, Oh, we're trying to navigate folks to the right venue of care. Like that's relatively, that's a, facile statement to make, and it's not particularly unique. Um, Everyone's kind of trying to solve that problem. Uh, But we get very specific about what we mean, and and we look at it from a business model standpoint. So what is this business model that is important to us, for instance? And what kind of business logic do we have as a system? What does our capacity and operating model look like that would also influence the technology from a solution perspective? Then we look internally. We do in many cases leverage Epic because it frankly, like it's a feature or functionality is fine or like some IT build within our core IT organization is also okay. That's a possibility. That's step one. Um, Often though, uh, just feature like standing up new features doesn't. Fit the bill, and so we then look externally to the market. Again, we get really deep because we're not just we uh, its not like an RFP process where you check the box. It's a—it's um, really a business evaluation process. We also, um, you know, so we look at um, any partner from from multiple lenses. How do they help us manage our our many business models? Frankly, we live in a mixed with um, mixed world. It's not just fee for service or uh, value based care it's combined. And us, for instance, being forced to navigate the transition economics ourselves and make a decision is often very difficult for us to do. And so like a platform that will help us manage in a mixed model is, is always helpful. So that's just one example. Anyway, we look pretty holistically. And then lastly, we look out, um, if we don't find something, that's where we sort of evaluate build opportunities. But where we build is in a very narrow niche. And the reason we've gone through through this, again, like sort of extensive process of identifying what we're very good at and what the market is good at. And um, we know, you know, we've got unprecedented, I mean, we're part of the system. We're actually very closely tied into the system. We are, so we have access to operators. We have very, very deep access into the core infrastructure. And so we know like how the APIs work, how well are they documented? You know, it's at at that level of like extreme depth And we um, also know where are there unique circumstances in which we are the only ones that are positioned to have access to that core environment, and therefore it would make it better for us to build versus a point solution um, company out there. So we go through this whole analysis every time, and there also needs to be other things like the market size needs to be sufficiently large because it needs you know we really want to build venture backed companies, not we're not trying to build features and then pass them off as companies. So there uh, it's a it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty high bar. Uh,
0: you know we're having this conversation in front of dozens and dozens of founders of healthcare startups, relatively early stage, bunch of problem solvers uh, who I'm sure would love to know what some of your greatest specific frustrations are, some of the problems that you would love to have someone solve.
1: We still are very clunky when it comes to s- supporting self-service. Um, and in particular, it's it's been historically very challenging for us to parse intent of the user and then um, uh, support them in connecting to workflows that enable self-service. Uh, now, of course, with LLMs becoming more available uh, for utilization, we are building sort of navigation pathways Uh, for self-service and for other sorts of light clinical administrative pop health type use cases. We're trying to solve now other problems around that are more caregiver facing. We call all the folks that work within Providence caregivers. So if you were to go and shadow one of our our caregivers in a clinic, um, especially those who work more in like sort of care management or um, uh, administrative uh, capabilities, They've got like sticky notes all over their monitors. They've got like notebooks. They've got six different applications and they don't have one unified workbench. So it really fragments their flow and it causes a lot of challenges for them in terms of how productive they can be. That's one uh, very caregiver-focused problem. One very technology-oriented set of problems is that, you know, fortunately we only have a couple of use cases where we're applying generative AI today. But um, we need to have consistent tools, infrastructure, LLM ops, sec ops, DevOps, annotation methodology, mm-hmm. all that stuff um, so that we can start deploying um, uh, LLMs at scale. That's another example. We don't have, like nothing like that exists today. So yeah. those are a couple of very specific areas. We're always working on expanding access. That's another kind of big area. And there are subdomains within that as well.
0: Okay, let's get really pragmatic here. Let's say there's a founder listening to these challenge areas, like being clunky on self-service. And they're like, "I have I got the solution for you? Let's talk about tech adoption and how you think about working with a startup. Uh, What are some of the things that you look for? And let's also then talk about some red flags, things that you would try to avoid.
1: You'd be surprised at how many folks don't do this, which is like having a really clear understanding of the problem you're trying to solve and the ability to articulate it. I still hear from folks who, you know, are kind of all over the place or it sounds like they're solving, you know, for you know, climate change and world hunger and, you know, uh, connectivity and interoperability. Like it's just, it's too, you know, focus, value prop, focus, what are you trying to solve for um, is step one. Um,
0: Can I I pause you there? Because part, part of the reason to have a call with someone like you is to understand straight from the source, what the challenges are at a level that most people don't get visibility on. And so do you have suggestions on the best way to understand the true problem? There's like the perceived problem. You do a little research, there's that problem. And then there's the true problem. And sometimes only someone at your level uh, has the true visibility. Is that fair to say?
1: I would say I am not in the category of people that is like deep in the work, right? So I'll tell you like philosophically and like in some maybe in a highfalutin way, but when you go and you sit with our patient registration representatives, like I saw how much clicking and cutting and pasting they had to do, or the fact that like when, um, you know, the schedulers and the registration people are two different people. And so you might get something scheduled, but you can't do a verification of prior auth and, um, you know, network eligibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And therefore there's lots of breakage and a lot of last minute cancellations because we couldn't get, we couldn't verify someone's insurance status, right? Like you won't know that. You won't actually know that someone calls and can't get someone to pick up the phone unless you go and sit there. Mm. And so like... Playing the ground game is, is critical. And that's really hard to do. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do, but like getting clever about how to access folks on the ground is probably once you've got this like sort of high level, like we think there's an opportunity there is really critical. Like, I, and I've talked with like you know other folks and in the industry about this. We're all kind of trying to solve the same problems. It ultimately gets down to how you're solving the problem makes all the difference in the world when it comes to driving adoption within a system.
0: Okay, okay. So let's get back to your answer about how you work with startups, what you look for, and what you're avoiding.
1: A lot of uh, you know humility around what you we what you do and don't know. Engagement. If it's a clinical solution, you got to work with clinicians like it, you're not really a clinical solution if you haven't worked with clinicians to, to build. So those are, those are some big ones providing, um, you know, especially depending on like y'all are, you know, founders. And so I assume a lot of, the uh, uh, the solutions that you're building are relatively early stage. And so, um, it's really critical to get in that in the environment and offer things up that might help you get access to special parts of the tech stack. I'll give you all an example. Um, Many, many years ago, we were doing some work in provider directory. Now, this is like so many years have gone by, right? So lots of lots has changed in that domain. Um, But we were working with a company that was building their solution. And they wanted access to Epic because they needed to build the connection between Epic and the the credentialing systems that provided a lot of the provider data. And that was not something that we as a system had done before and didn't really know how to value that. And so they actually gave us warrants in their company in order to encourage the integration with Epic and for us to deploy the resources that we needed to deploy against solving that problem for them. So be willing to work creatively um, and provide, you know, access to your environment or just give visibility, do you know, not just demos at a high level again, like what are the features, but um get in there um with folks around how your tech is architected. If you have, if you have it built out already, if you don't, work with folks to really capture the requirements, not from people like me. I I, I'm not on the ground and I'm therefore I'm useless. And so the deeper you go, the better. I'm good for like strategic contacts and what is the health system thinking about and in general, what's digital doing and what's marketing doing and what's experience doing and corporate strategy and all that stuff. But it's not the, the clinician. It won't resonate with an actual operator until unless it's been co-built with folks like sitting shoulder to shoulder. If you require data to be sent to you, that is going to be a v- uphill battle. Like if you're trying to train models, there are probably other ways to get that data that you don't need it from a health system. It'll take you 25 years.
0: I want to get more I want to get more into that data sharing and maybe a little bit about AI, but first let's take a few questions from sure. the audience. Adam Schultz from Minder. You know, as you as you figure out organizations that you want to work with, do you ever invest in them? Do you actually make investments to help them develop their technology or have you ever funded pilots to help them get to the point to where they're ready to pilot it with your organization? And how does that work?
1: Uh, really interesting question. If there's a sufficient sort of conviction in the area, yeah, like we, by the way, like I never recommend running a free pilot that's just a recipe for disaster um, and languishing in health system abyss forever and ever. So don't do that. We have funded folks to do experiments. Now it depends, if it's like a highly sensitive clinical, like if it was like, for instance, a um, we actually did do this ultimately, but required a lot of uh, clinical uh, backing. There was um, safety planning for suicide, um, suicide prevention in particular, in our eds when folks were in sort of this crisis um, moment um, and we ended up doing a pilot that we paid for um, because the core clinical like scientific uh, model was in place and they just needed to test it in an operational environment of, of a large system so we paid for that and um and then worked Uh, Because we were really testing whether like testing the effectiveness in an environment versus the efficacy in sort of from a theoretical perspective. So um, so, yes, we we absolutely do do that Um, when it comes to like med tech, if folks are in med tech, like that's not really something that we do. That's more like we already it has to have gone through the 510K and be, you know, FDA cleared. Um, so it highly it's highly dependent, um, but ultimately it comes down to finding a champion with sufficient conviction and then m- more or less anything is possible from there.
0: Any any tips on finding that champion with conviction?
1: Unfortunately, it is only done through brute force right now. Um, and you know, we had talked many years ago about doing sort of like a social graph of healthcare and like who in what organization is responsible for what. That is not really a possibility right now. And with health systems moving around quite a lot, lots of uh, attrition when it comes to different roles and just sort of health systems are going through quite a bit of change at the moment. Um, You just got to get into like the research, what people have talked about, what they've written about and it really is brute force. Now, sometimes uh, you can find someone like me, where I know a lot of folks um, that I can connect with, right? Like I have no business talking about support for Parkinson's, for instance, but I can connect folks, right? So that's the other that's the other way to to do it.
0: Nice, Adam. Thank you for your question. Let's go to Dr. Alexandra Greenhill from Care Team. Go ahead.
1: I
2: am a physician, and uh, we've come up with a platform that enables us to manage patients with complexity. So if there's many providers, many organizations involved, this is an infrastructure that spans across and allows to involve the patient uh, so they can self-serve. And so um, we're now more mature, 17,000 patients helped and we're sort of in the sales process. And I had a number of very practical questions around like, do our solution is so horizontal and it's the opposite of the point solution. So like, do people procure these? Do you do procurements what does that look like um, everyone tells me i need to go do more research and yet i see decisions being made where that is not even a question on the rfp and so you know um, any practical advice you have as to like we think we've built something that is a game changer and we know it because of the people who are using the platform now how can i get this into more hands faster I hate
1: to break it to you <laughs> and I'm not going to tell you something that is. So I think those horizontal solutions are the the direction of the future. The challenge is that they're very difficult to sell. Uh, I speak from personal experience in that we build a lot of horizontal solutions too. I mean, those platforms are intended to knit together that we build are intended to knit together point solutions and it, you know, you got to go talk to like, every single person in the organization it feels like before you can actually uh, sell so that's the part that's hard for solutions like that and you know take this for what it's worth given that i don't know that much about your your platform um it's actually more of a top-down sale than a bottom-up sale so go so if you have a value proposition for instance around like it helps um, manage total cost of care because it's uh, you know you're knitting together all these different solutions and you're instead of folks having to you know like your your end user as the patient is getting shuttled around from one thing to another and then it lowers compliance and then their adherence goes down and then they have some sort of critical um, uh, sort of health escalation or something like that. Um, uh, this knits it all together and therefore you know we've seen reduction in ED admissions of it's XYZ and, you know, this much cost savings, take that to the CFO. So you take it, you know, you go to that level and then you, and then they will start to like cascade it, right? Because that, and, and you may not be able to go there directly, right? You might need to start with like the value-based care people at, the, at some point that it, the CFO drives a lot of that uh, evaluation because they're thinking about it all up. They're not thinking about it from a a line of business budget. They're thinking about it from how does it roll up to enterprise value. And that makes a big difference. So those horizontal solutions, you're going to have to do more and more of that versus like, I'm going to go just to go talk to the folks that do chronic disease management. Right. Like it gets hung up in all sorts of other uh, operational challenges. You know, the other place that you could kind of start if there is Someone that's like in charge of all up like virtual, like telemedicine, um, remote patient monitoring, you know, all of those types of like things that enable like technologies that enable a different business model uh, around care in the home or remote care. Like they will start to get that and they may be your entry point.
0: Yeah, we appreciate that candor, and you know that aligns with a lot of uh, conversations we have around really finding mission fit partners, really finding people where you're aligned with what they want. Like talking to that CFO about uh, reducing costs. Shireen, let's go to you for your question.
3: Sure, thanks, thanks, Logan, and thank you for your time, Sarah. So, Shireen, with Yumlish, uh, we are scaling digital nutrition solutions, largely focused on underserved communities. Um, My question to you, Sarah, was really around balancing sort of this innovation investments with the other side of sort of these economic pressures like inflation and laboring, and you touched on this just a second ago, and no. then delays in reimbursement from, from payers as well. How are you balancing sort of both? How do you make room for innovation while also trying to manage the PL? Um uh,
1: So what we've done as an organization, I'll put it this way, um, is that Uh, After March of 2022, we kicked off a, you know, I would say a 24 month effort to recover and renew the system. And like, it's been all hands on deck. For that time period. Now, um, it's actually probably going to extend through the end of you know uh, this year or halfway into next year. So it's really extending into like almost 36 months um, because the challenges have been a lot more um, more uh, like material than we thought. Um, so it really has been all hands on deck. And when it comes to like a group like my my organization, like that I'm responsible for when it comes to digital innovation, um, what it has done for us is it's aligned us more with enabling the core, right? There's sort of this notion of like, should we be disrupting ourselves so that others don't disrupt us? That was sort of a common refrain in health systems, you know, five plus years ago or so. And no one's talking like that anymore, partly because, you know, we've come to realize like, Providence, for instance, cares for over 5 million patients a year and the disruptors still haven't gotten to that scale. So we got to keep the system together in some way or another, right? Like people still need cancer care. People still need, um, Uh, you know, um, transplants and they need, you know, they need a lot of services. They still need primary care and they can't just rely on these other sort of folks that are frankly nibbling around the edges. So our core system is valuable and it is essential. And it has forced us from an innovation lens to say, from an innovation perspective, how do we support the core? Um, and it's actually, I think, uh, kind of started to shape an interesting discussion in the industry, which is that, um, you know, again, like five years ago, we we collectively were saying all these things like health systems are going to be disrupted and Amazon had a disruptive um, uh, sort of, Uh, aspirations as well and I think we are all collectively as an industry more moving toward let's make a better system like don't worry about disruption right like you gotta just take care of the people that need care now um and that uh and that has forced a lot of different discussions
3: Hmm. that's helpful I'll just do a quick super quick follow-up to that, Sarah uh, one of the contexts for my questions to you is, you know, as, as innovators and startup entrepreneurs, we really struggle to understand, um, one, where well, where the problem is really painful that we can go in and solve, yep. right? But the other side of it is also making sure that the dollars exist there so that we can go solve those problems. Because like you said, free pilots are are no fun for anyone. Um, so having said that, would you say those relationships are stronger with payers, providers, Where where would you recommend uh, startups to to seek that among them? If you
1: have something that has, a ne- um, I would say, a near-term ROI of under 18 months, health systems are a good bet um, because they're moving more more quickly than they used to. Um, and now if it's like it only works under risk and only with like, you know, that makes it a little bit of a harder calculus because then you need to um, determine like, how do you selectively apply it and operationalize it and all that stuff? But if it's, um, if you have a model that uh, can either be flexible within the payment environment or is agnostic to the payment environment um, and can deliver an ROI of less than 18 months, go with the providers. The payers, now that depends, right? Like, if you're going with um, like regional, um, region, like smaller regional um, plans, are in a world of hurt too. And their tech infrastructure sucks 10 times worse than health systems. Um, it's bad, like really, really bad. Like I'll give you one example. We, we have the ability to, to do SSO. They, their technology doesn't even allow for it. Like it's not even like, oh, they don't want to. They can't, they cannot do it. So their technology infrastructure is so weak that, um, that it, it will just prevent you from even being able to engage in that. Um, now they may be, you know, uh, willing to, uh, partner on, um, on, uh, certain things that will save them from a total cost of care standpoint. But the challenge is that they will need you to already have validated data and you got to get that validated data somewhere, right? So, um, often your validated data will come from a provider,
0: Appreciate the question, Shireen. We're going to try to squeeze in one last quick uh, question. After that, we're going to allow you to share back, as we always do in our master classes, one biggest insight that you heard. So, uh, while Beth Sanders from LifeBio is asking her question, if there's something that you've heard that was helpful to you, drop it in the chat, and I may call on you at the very end. So, Beth, why don't you come off mute?
3: Hi, Sarah. Thank you for this. I just you kind of touched on it here—the the relationship between the health plan and the health system. It it just feels like I'm I'm feeling like they're coming together more and more in their, you know, your your personalization, um, more focus on wellness, maybe more than sickness. Is that where this whole thing is heading? And especially with a massive aging population, is Providence looking at that and going, well, we better get ahead of this on the wellness side or we're gonna be overcome.
1: Uh, yeah. So, uh, I'll break your question up into a couple of different parts. Um, personalization is, uh, something that, uh, um, I think all, all systems, all, per, uh, payers, like we're all kind of on that journey in differing, like varying degrees of with varying degrees of success. And, um, and, uh, Uh, we're going to see that theme more and more now, whether health systems and payers are going to come together to do that, I think is an entirely different question. Um, payers, you know, first, uh, diversified into services and pharmaceuticals, and now they're diversifying into actual care delivery. And, um, and that's how they're building the connection. They're not actually leaning into the existing providers. They're building health systems without hospitals. And that allows them to capture more data and, and um, play chicken even more. The um, the uh, And then the blues and like other regional plans are just really struggling, frankly. And like to back to our previous conversation, don't really have the capabilities, I would say to um, meaningfully um, enable a, uh, a, a joint experience. Now, some may sort of uh, overcome some activation energy. Um, and, but it, we've, we've not seen that play out so far. Um, then the question is like, uh, to your point around like the aging population, we're going to see more and more tailored ecosystems of care rather than, um, rather than, uh, uh you know, sort of one size fits all. The challenge is like what we've seen so far in that space, like the first wave of those companies, like Oak Street and Village MD, like have very challenging operating models, right? And so like they are really heavy from a workforce standpoint, really struggling with scale. They're caring for like 100,000 patients, you know, after however many years and however many billions of dollars. And so, um, so I think that's like, um, you know, we're going to have to figure out like, yes, it's important. And that's going to be the expectation, but how it actually gets operationalized is I think TBD. And there's going to be a different wave of that going forward.
0: Beth, appreciate the question. We are basically at the end of our time. Sarah, Mm -hmm. I want to give you a chance to sort of uh, give one piece of parting wisdom or advice to this group. You know, we've got a few dozen founders on the call and many more uh, who will listen to it afterwards. Um, how should they be thinking about health innovation in 2024, uh, as as it pertains to connecting the dots from early stage innovation to really the health system level, five million patients, and wanting to see that impact reach real patients?
1: Find a partner uh, early if you can and, um, and get as close, like shoulder to shoulder with them as you possibly can. I mean, I think, you know, there are, uh, health systems I've been in healthcare for my entire career for the most part, like, you know, and adjacent, like I was in med tech and then I was in policy and health services research. And now, and then, um, management consulting and now as an operator, um, and, uh, it is very different from what it was 20 years ago. Right. And as many of you probably who have been in healthcare for quite some time as well, have seen that evolution. Um, and so the, um, the, so finding a partner that will, uh, that will help you actually see the ways by which the problem needs to be solved and getting ahead of some of those things that, that have historically been intractable, I think is like really, really critical.
0: Very nice. Uh, Well, let's have one quick insight uh, from Nicole Cook from Alvy. Why don't you uh, share share your thought?
2: Yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. This was an incredibly helpful session. Really appreciate it. I think for, I mean, everything was really, really informative, but some things that resonated strongly with me is just that we need to ensure that our value prop is very clear, um, but also that the problem we're solving is also very clear so that it makes sense to those stakeholders um, but at the end of the day, we, you know, getting buy in from the CFO and making sure our solution is financially compelling will be what ultimately sets
1: us up for success. So, um, again, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. Sure. Can I say one last thing too? Yeah. just build on what Nicole just said? Um, when, when we have um, uh, partners or potential solution companies come to us and say, hey, you're going to like lose on all these things, but then you'll make it up on growth. Don't say that. It never happens. The growth never materializes, never, ever, ever. And then we're just left holding the bag. And, um, I think health systems are finally like realizing that, right? Like, Oh, we've been holding the bag for all this time. And like, we can't all be trying to grow and like all be, um, attributing growth or value to the same, you know, to like, it's the same growth, but we're getting it attributed to like 10 different things, right. Who are all trying to take credit for it. So there's gotta be something more there and, um, and that'll just help your conversation.
0: I love it. Sarah, you were clearly candid on this call. And as David Haddock said in the in the chat, your depth of knowledge is impressive. And so we really appreciate you sharing with us today. Great um,
1: questions. Very nice to be with all of you. I love I love what you all are doing and um, let me know how I can support you.
0: Thanks everyone for showing up and I hope to see you on an upcoming masterclass. You take care.
1: Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening
2: to Startup Health Now. We'll be back again with another episode next week.